definitely thankful for another opportunity to worship God and praise His holy name. He definitely is worthy of our praise. We're not worthy of praise, but He is. So Sometimes it's easier um, for us to praise men than praise God at times. And we definitely want to remember that God is worthy of praise. Today's lesson is a, a continuation uh, from last week. Um, last week we began to examine the, the youth of Jesus Christ. It was youth of Jesus Christ part one. We looked at some characteristics of Christ's life in Nazareth. Um, as we transition into um, today's lesson, we really want to keep those things in mind. Um, today's lesson will come from Luke, the second chapter, um, verses 41 through 47. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. By way of introduction, um, it's, it's good to take some time to review. Before we ever begin to take on more of God's word, we should stop and do a couple of things. One try to recall what we discussed prior, take some time to review some things that we already know about the scripture that we're about to approach, um, that pull that background knowledge in. And then the point of the lesson is just to build on top of it, um, to remind us of those things that we may have already heard, we just need to hear it again, but also more of an admonishment. Um, every time we hear the word of God, it's an admonishment. It's something that we need to do or put in practice. Um, know that God is faithful. So he will always prepare the table for us. If he's preparing the table for us, we will have to use it in time to come. I can't tell you that this lesson you'll have to apply this next week. It may be three weeks from now. It may be a month and a half. You may encounter a stranger that has a question. Um, whatever it might be, God knows and he uses you according to your faithfulness to his word and obedience. Um, and so I will tell you that you will have to use it in one way. <laughs> shape or form, you will have to use the things that, um, that we hear. Um, that's what it's all about. So when we looked at Jesus' life in Nazareth and his growing up, those first uh, 12 years of his life, there's some things that um, I pointed out from last week that we may not have even thought of or just really need to remind ourselves of. There was a lot going on in the town of Nazareth. It was a very small, obscure town that many people hadn't even heard of. And if you'd heard of it, there weren't any positive things that people heard about Nazareth. People despised the place. They looked down on the place. They thought the people there were uneducated. They were fools. They didn't know anything. And so this is the town that God chose for Jesus to grow up in. We know that that's not an accident. There's nothing in our life that happens that's an accident. Sometimes we think that, oh, this just happened. Nothing just happens. God has a plan. 
God is in control of human history. God is allowing all things to work together for a reason. So things aren't just happening in our lives, just happenstance. There's a purpose behind it. Just because we don't know the purpose doesn't mean that there's not a purpose. Um, and I've had to learn that in my own life because I've had a tendency to say, oh, it just happened, oh, it just happened. No, things aren't just happening. How are we responding to situations? There's a reason that God allowed this to happen in my life. There's a reason that God allowed me to meet this person. There's a reason that God allowed me to go through this experience. It is for a reason. It is for us to seek God and figure out what that reason is. So Jesus grew up in this obscure town of Nazareth. This town was full of probably rumors and gossip and mess and drama. Jesus encountered rejection from all sides, from in his home with some sibling rivalry and some hatred probably there among his brothers and sisters, those that may have lived close to where he stayed, the, the town leaders, those that were around, those that were supposed to have some sense. He faced some of those blended learning, blended family type of learning experiences that, that we could face. Um, many of us in here may have dealt with the blended family type of experiences. Speaking of which, there's a blended life uh, conference coming um, April 25th. I want to go, so me and my wife are planning on going. Um, but he faced some of those experiences. He knew what it felt like. He knew what it felt like to be isolated, to be alone, to be viewed a certain way, to be not included in some of the family activities, maybe by his siblings, for people to judge him, to mistreat him. He experienced all of that. Remember, we talked about the key with crisis identification. He didn't just identify with us in our adulthood. He identified with us in every way known to man, is what Hebrews says. In every way known to man, he identifies with us. There's not an experience that you can go through that Christ can't understand, can't relate to. Sometimes we have those experiences and we say, oh, this isn't a, a Christ thing. This is, I need to deal with this one on my own because he wouldn't really understand the situation. And that's not true. He was tempted in all points. It's common to man. We have to remember those scriptures. We got to recall those scriptures when we go through these situations. Otherwise, Satan's going to win because he'll say, you're really alone. It's really just you. Satan wants you to feel like you're alone. He wants you to be alone. That way he can get you. He wants us to be alone. This is warfare. <laughs> This is warfare. This isn't a just a go through life and just see what happens and then transition to heaven. No, this is warfare. Satan's number one role is to get as many people on his side as possible. Satan wants to prove a point. God wants to prove a point as well. And that's he can create man with free will and choice and they will choose him. He won't force himself on you, but we will choose him. God is gracious. God is a, is a gentleman. <laughs> he won't force himself on you. He will give you everything that you need because he loves you, but he will allow you the opportunity to choose him. Satan is roaring like a lion and walking to and fro seeking whom he could devour. And we have to be on guard. 
we have to put on that armor. We have to be ready at all times. Even at a young age, Jesus had to be on guard. Jesus spent his childhood trying to follow the law based on what he was taught, based on what Mary and Joseph modeled in front of him. He did his best to try to follow the law. He would do periods of fasting as well, and he would dress a certain way, and all of those things that he was taught, he grew as a child. He learned things as a child under his parents, and even then he felt opposition at a young age. And it brings us to a monumental passage of scripture here in Luke, the second chapter. And I say it's monumental for a few reasons. In this passage, this is the only like account of a childhood experience, an actual childhood event or experience that we have in scripture. And it's Luke chapter 12. This is also the only childhood experience that we have in scripture where we actually hear Jesus say something. He hadn't said anything <laughs> up until this scripture right here. And this is the only scripture that will give us the words of Jesus Christ as a child. Everything else we're moving to is adulthood. So if it's this one experience that God put in the scripture for us to read through, then we know it's extremely important. And we have to figure out what it is that God wants us to have out of this passage here. So what I'd like to do is read the entire passage, 41 through 47, and then I'd like to go verse, verse by verse just so that we can sift out those things that um, will connect to Christ identifying with us, us having a better understanding of the experience that he had as a child in this uh, passage. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41. Let me go back to verse 39 and 40. This is where we began last week. In Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 39, it says, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Remember, he grew as a child. He had those child experiences. But as he grew, he was strengthened because he applied what he was taught to his situations and circumstances, and he did not sin. So momentum increases when we apply God's word and we don't sin. Sin just holds us back. Sin moves us further away from God and this wisdom that he speaks of in verse 40. So it says he waxed strong in spirit. Despite those things that he had to, to be faced with even as a child, he took them on and he applied God's word. He took everything that God had given him and used it for God's glory as he understood as a child, as he understood as a child. Then verse 41 says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, 
both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And that's why we'll pause. It says in verse 41 that his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Legally, his parents were Mary and Joseph. On paper, those were his parents, Mary and Joseph. It said that they had a, a common practice, a customary practice. It says that year after year, after year they went up to Jerusalem at the Feast of the Passover. What's interesting about this beginning by saying now his parents went up to Jerusalem, God chose for Mary and Joseph to be Jesus' earthly parents. That wasn't something that they necessarily chose. God chose it. While this is not to lift up Mary and Joseph, God will give you what you have the capacity for. God will give you what you have the capacity for. So if God chose Mary and Joseph to carry out this task, this major task, there must have been some things that they knew and understood so that they'd be able to carry it out and be successful to the best of their ability. So God chose Mary and Joseph to be Jesus' earthly parents. This is a big responsibility. They had the responsibility of guiding Jesus through his childhood. As parents, we have the same responsibility to guide our children in the way of the Lord, to teach them scripture, to teach them what they should learn, how to act, how to behave, how to behave when they go into the temple or come into church, right? How to behave at home, how to respond to things, how to act as a child. We have that responsibility as parents to teach our children that. Mary and Joseph had that responsibility in teaching Jesus that. Remember, he grew as a child. So this was a learning experience, so they had to teach him some things. They aren't the parents of God, they're the parents of the humanity of Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? um, that's where you get all of those other teachings that, um, that have come out of it. Mary and Joseph, in my opinion, from everything that I've seen and have read about, were equipped to take on the task. They knew scriptures at a young age. They knew scriptures, they knew the law, they were devout. We see that even in some of the scripture passages we read here, it says every year they went up to the feast. And then we'll see even further in this passage how devout they were as well. Again, this isn't to highlight Mary and Joseph and, and not Jesus, but this is to let us know that his parents did the things that they felt that they were supposed to do when it came to guiding Jesus in the way of the law. So every year, Feast of the Passover, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, they went up to the feast. Really, it was only required of the males to go up to the feast and the Passover and those. But you see, Joseph took his entire family every year to Jerusalem during the Feast of the Passover. It was a family thing. Remember, there were three festivals that the Jewish male was required to go to. And that was Passover, which we're talking about now. That was a Pentecost. And that's the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths when they were wandering in the wilderness and God protected them. Over time, the Passover became the elite festival. The elite festival. 
And maybe you couldn't make all of them, but you made sure to make the Passover. You made sure to make the Passover. This is Jewish culture. When we look at Exodus, the 12th chapter, we see that the Passover was revolved around the, the 10th uh, plague, that 10th plague, where God destroyed the firstborn of Egypt and he spared the firstborn of what will become the, the Jews. And that was Exodus 12. The Passover symbolizes a lot of doctrine and teaching that probably don't have time to go through in this short period of time. However, we know that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He is the one that God chose to save the people from their sins, to spare people from death and destruction. Jesus is the Passover lamb. What's also interesting, remember we read the passage where Jesus was dedicated in the temple. That was extracted from Exodus, the 13th chapter and the second verse, which is the firstborns were spared. And Exodus 13 and two says, I wanna read that one. Jesus, God commanded the people and it says, sanctify unto me all the firstborn whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel both of man and of beast, it is mine. So the firstborn was holy, set apart for God. So when we talked about that whole dedication ceremony, that was Jesus Christ. It was foreshadowing Jesus Christ who would be the firstborn of God that would save his people. What happens right after Passover is seven days called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So in total, you really have like an eight day experience in Jerusalem if one chose to stay for the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Some, because of the trip and the journey, may stay for the Passover a couple of days and then they would head back. This is another glimpse into how devout Mary and Joseph were because if you look at verse, in Luke chapter two, verse 43, it says, and when they had fulfilled the days. So Mary and Joseph stayed the entire time. They stayed the entire time. And I believe this was what they did every single year. They would stay time after time the entire time. They wanted the whole experience. They didn't want just a little piece of it. They wanted it all. So we have the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Eight-day experience. They fulfilled the days. Then we move into verse 42. Verse 42 gives us Jesus' age, which we know already, but it gives us Jesus' age at this time, at this unique experience. It says, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. You went up to Jerusalem because of elevation. Um, I don't want us to think that this was, a, was an easy trip for Mary and Joseph and Jesus to experience because it wasn't. Um, the travel from Nazareth to Jerusalem was an up, down, up, down, up, down walk. It was tough. It was a tough walk and it took some time. It was a tough walk and it took some time. It may have took towards five days for someone to actually get there with their family. Some believe it was like four to five days, just depending. But it was a long, hard trip that they would take every single year. I wanna emphasize that because I don't want anyone to think that an experience or a walk for God or a walk with Jesus is gonna be easy at times, it's not. 
There's going to be some ups and downs. We're going to have some experiences. There's going to be some times we want to give up. There'll be some times we want to quit and throw in the towel. I will not present that walking with Jesus is an easy walk. Because it's not at times. I will say that as we walk with Jesus, we're not walking alone. I will say that. Jesus is always with us. That should be comfort. That should be comfort. Sometimes it's not. And if it's not comforting, it's not Jesus' fault. <laughs> it's not Jesus' fault. It's because we don't really recognize what we have with us. We have so much with us, but we don't recognize because sometimes we just focus on our experience. We're just looking at what's in front of us, and it's hard. They took this trip every year, no matter what. It's not an accident that this is a 12-year-old a 12 experience. I'm going to talk a little bit about Jewish culture, but it's not an accident that it's a 12-year-old event that God chose to put in Scripture. This is really the point where, in a Jewish culture, it's believed that you were like coming of age. You were at, really almost at the point where you could understand the things of the law and be able to apply them. So this was really that age where, in the Jewish culture, they believed you could be responsible for your actions and decisions. It was believed at this point in the Jewish culture that you were really becoming a man. All right? Now, we look at that today and we say, nah, uh -uh. my son Robert is 12 years old, and <laughs> please, <laughs> there's a lot he can't do, right? Um, but at this point in the Jewish culture, it was believed that you were like coming of age. From this belief led us to Bar Mitzvah. Bar Mitzvah was a, a ceremony that took place around 5th, 6th century, like later on, but it stemmed from a passage like this in the Jewish culture. So at about 12 years old, it's believed that you understood or you could understood the law. You could understand the law and be held accountable or held responsible. And this is even in Baptist churches and different churches, it's that age of accountability. We, we understand that. We believe that to that point where you understand some teaching. You can kind of make your own decisions, that type of thing. The ceremony of the Bar Mitzvah really started to take place like the Middle Ages a little later, but it, the idea came in like 5th, 6th century BC from what I researched. What also would happen, which kind of opens up this passage, if it was believed that you were mature enough to make decisions according to the law, it wasn't like the parents would say, I believe you're mature enough. What would happen was, around this age, 12, 13 or so, just depending, you would come to the temple and there would be an, an examination. Almost like a test, an examination. So it's not an accident that we see Jesus sitting among the religious leaders. This wasn't just, he, he just happened to stumble into this discussion that they were having. This was, this had to happen. This was to show us that Jesus was transitioning. There was a transition that was taking place. And so he was sitting among the doctors and religious leaders, which I'll talk about here in a moment. But we have the custom of the feast, Jesus 12 years old. Then in verse 43, it says, when they fulfilled the days, so they've been there the whole eight days, they returned. It said, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. 
and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. On the outside looking in, we would look at this passage and we would say, Mary and Joseph are wrong for that. They're wrong. They just left that baby behind. They left sweet baby Jesus behind. <laughs> we say Jesus might have been acting up in the temple and they just left Jesus behind, right? <laughs> but that's not really what took place. Um, I'm silly. I apologize. I read, <laughs> I read story. I had to make some light to it, so I had to, you know, to bring it like that. But it said Jesus tarried behind. This isn't Jesus being mischievous or playing hide and seek in a temple, like Braxton would probably do, or <laughs> something like that. This is Jesus being in the midst of what's believed, what Josephus, a, a Jewish historian, would say about two million people. At least two million people would come down for this Jewish feast, this Passover. We can't even really picture that, but this is the, the situation that took place. We know it to be true because of a few things. When we look up further on in verse 44, it says that, and they supposing him to have been in the company, that's a word like caravan that's used here, and it's only used in this scripture text in the New Testament. See, when they came down to Jerusalem, it wasn't just Mary and Joseph and Jesus taking this trip. It was everyone from the town taking this trip. And if you took the trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem by yourself, you'd probably get robbed because it was very dangerous. So they, they traveled in groups and packs and caravans. And it wasn't just a, hey, everybody, like, get in your car and drive down. It was a walking experience, but usually you'd have the, the kids in the front, because if you had the parents in the front, they'd probably walk too fast, and the kids might be left behind. So usually you had the kids in the front, followed by the women, followed by the men. And they took this big old trip together to Jerusalem. That's the scene. And they would travel down, there would be about two million people at least here in Jerusalem. So when it says that Joseph and Mary knew not of it, this wasn't neglect on the parents' part to where they left their child behind. How could you leave your child behind, right? It's not the same as what you know, we experience today if someone leaves a child in the car or something like that. This wasn't really what happened. Typically, you have to remember, prior to this event, Jesus was the perfect child. Jesus was always where he was supposed to be, <laughs> every time. Jesus was always where he was supposed to be. Anything that Mary and Joseph had instructed him, he was always there. So they expected, they'd taken this trip before, they expected him to be exactly where he'd always been, what, he had, what they had showed him. But on this instance, this transition in his life, he is still in Jerusalem. So verse 44 says, but they supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey. So they went an entire day's journey. It says, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. Joseph may have believed that Jesus was either with the children or with Mary, and Mary believed that he maybe was with the children or maybe with some of the older men as he was transitioning, right, because of his age. Whatever the case was, they looked for him among their kinsfolk first and then acquaintance, they didn't see Jesus. Verse 45 says, and when they found him not, 
they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. So they went out a day's journey, and then it took a day to travel back. And then first, verse 46 says, and it came to pass that after three days. So then they spent another day looking for him. So we had three days total right here where they were without their child, Jesus. A couple of things I want to point out about here as we look at the latter part of this lesson because verse 46 and verse 47 is the part that's mind-blowing. It's the part like in verse 47 where it says astonished. This is the astonishing point. All throughout Jesus' life, he filled people with amaze and wonder. He always shocked and surprised and, and people were like dumbfounded at what they witnessed with Jesus Christ. Verse 46 says, now I, I want us to picture the scene. So again, we have at least two million people during this time, maybe even coming in and out. We have this large temple that was built by Herod. There's different like rooms and they would call them chambers that were scattered around. Jesus as a child has had the opportunity to stay the entire time. During this time, if you remember for the Passover and from what you read from Exodus, there was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice that was taking place during this time and Jesus would witness it. So can you imagine Jesus as a child is watching what he knew because it's believed in this passage that he understood his identity. He knew his identity. It wasn't at his baptism where he understood his identity. He began to understand his identity early on as a child. And so Jesus is watching what would become him. And he's seeing it over and God is allowing him to see it over and over and over again as each animal is sacrificed and blood is, is splattered and there's a slaughter right in front of him. All right, if you could picture the scene. Everything that's going on in this temple and during this time is a representation and he is witnessing it all and he is identifying with it all. Even the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. If you remember that experience, it had to be pure, without any leaven. That was symbolic of Christ as well, who was the pure bread from heaven. This is where I'm gonna ask for homework that you read chapters 14 and 15 because that's the story where we're leading up to where God provided manna from heaven. It was that pure bread without any leaven. This was Jesus Christ as well. So all of the festivals and experiences that was taking place then was symbolic and Jesus had an opportunity to connect and see it all. And it's not an accident that they found him sitting in a temple, sitting in the midst of doctors. Verse 46 again says, and it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Let me give a little background that was really mind blowing as I um, examine this passage again. So I told you there's different chambers that are here at the temple. One of the chambers is called the chamber or the hall of hewn stones. <coughs> you read a little bit about it in the Old Testament, um, but it's the chamber or the hall of hewn, H-E-W-N, stones. 
And this is the place in the temple where the Sanhedrin would meet, where the Sanhedrin would meet. The Sanhedrin were like the Jewish Supreme Court. They were responsible for carrying out the, the punishment or the consequences of the law. They were the Jewish Supreme Court. There was a lesser Sanhedrin and a greater Sanhedrin if you read throughout history. So it could have been 23 for the lesser or 71 for the greater. They were judges. You see this also in the Old Testament if you read as, as Joshua began to establish some things and Moses began to establish some things, you read about what became the Sanhedrin. They were the elite of the Pharisees. They were the elite of the Pharisees. You might say, what does that have to do with anything right here? So it said that Jesus was found in a temple sitting in the midst of the doctors. Not necessarily the doctor like Luke. These are the experts of the law. These were the Sanhedrin because this is where the Sanhedrin would meet in the chamber or the hall of hewn stones. Jesus is sitting there. They're sitting there. This lets us know that there was teaching going on. They weren't in a meeting, they were actually teaching. So you could walk by this hall or chamber and you could see the religious leaders and their disciples and they were teaching. Because in that culture when you were teaching, you sat down. Not like I'm doing, so maybe I'm not really teaching because I'm standing up, all right? Maybe I need to sit down. <laughs> but customary, they were sitting down and they were teaching. Because it typically, lasted a long time and maybe you were tired so you just needed to sit down whatever the case was that was customary so we have Jesus sitting in the midst of the doctors can you imagine a 12 year old you have this 12 year old boy sitting in the midst of the teachers right this is a this is would be great art right here because this is a picture of Christ as a student this is a picture of Christ as a student. For us, what we extract from this lesson is before we can teach someone, before we move into a teacher role, we must be a student. We must be a disciple. We must be a learner first. Everyone wants to teach, but no one wants to be a student. No one wants to be taught. No one wants to follow. Everyone wants to lead. Jesus, this is a great picture of Christ in the temple sitting and it says that he was hearing them and asking questions hearing them and asking questions what was mind-blowing is if we remember the time period so if some would say that Jesus was born maybe 4 BC or so give or take um, and he was crucified somewhere around 30 AD had about 33 and a half years. If we remember the time period and we think about the scene, I don't want to skip over the doctors that were sitting here or the experts of the law that were sitting here because there were some school of thoughts, there were some schools of thought that were instituted during this time. The most famous, which may have passed before this time, was Hillel. And there was religious schools that in the temple in Jerusalem that would happen or occur after Hillel. The most famous one that we probably know of is Gamaliel. If you think about that name, two scriptures probably come to your mind. 
One is in Acts, the fifth chapter, where the apostles were being persecuted and they brought the persecution to Gamaliel. And it says that he was an expert in the law. Um, Gamaliel was actually a leader of the Sanhedrin at this time that we're speaking of right now. And he said to the, the people that were persecuting the apostles in Acts, the fifth chapter, if they aren't living the way or doing according to the law that God says they should, God will deal with them. And he stepped in and took the side, really, of the apostles. And they kind of backed off him a little bit because they said that they held this man, Gamaliel, in high regard. If you look in Acts, the 22nd chapter, Paul says that he was instructed at the feet of Gamaliel, the same person that I'm speaking about right now. You might say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Gamaliel, he was here. He was here when Jesus was in this temple at 12 years old. He was here. You know who else was probably here? Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a leader of the Pharisees, and he was a Sanhedrin, if you research Nicodemus. See, when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night like he was crazy, and he said, oh, I don't know, who are you? He knew Jesus. He knew who Jesus was as a child. He was probably sitting in the midst here as well because he was a part of the Sanhedrin. So we have two influential people that were sitting here in the temple when Jesus was in their midst at 12 years old. What's interesting about that, what I just said is, verse 47 says, and all that heard him, including the two people I just mentioned, were astonished at his understanding and answers. They were astonished. These are the leaders. These are the elites. These are those that are the most knowledgeable of the law. It says that they were astonished at his understanding at age 12 and answers. This was Christ's examination per the Jewish culture. They asked him some questions as well. And he astonished them at his understanding of the law and his answers. I told you last week that the, the reason that this passage of scripture is in the Bible is to show that Jesus was exceptional. Jesus was an exceptional child, not because he functioned and moved as God, per se, but because he grew in wisdom as a child and he applied everything that God had provided for him and applied it to his situations as he grew and waxed strong. And so they were expecting in the temple that they would see a 12-year-old boy that, you know, was the typical 12-year-old Jewish boy. And instead, they had in their midst the lamb, <laughs> the perfect lamb, with all knowledge and understanding as he was taught, and a wisdom that was far beyond his years. I thought it was interesting because when you think about the Sanhedrin that were responsible for carrying out the punishment of the law, or those that didn't follow the law, you had right in their midst the one that would take the punishment and the penalty for the law that we couldn't keep, and that's Jesus Christ. Um, we'll continue next week with the latter part of the lesson. We'll move into 48 through 52 as we see Christ only words 
as a child that's presented um, in the scripture. I'm going to ask this week that you read Exodus 14 and 15. We see more of their journey out, um, the Jews or the, the Israelites, the children of Israel, and how God just continued to provide for them um, in the wilderness. So if you could bow with me for a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come just thanking you for this time. We thank you for a, the great example of Christ as a child. Admonishment to us as parents and even as children to follow you. We just thank you for all you put in scripture. We thank you for what you chose to not put in scripture that we would have to seek and search. We thank you for the mystery of your word. We thank you for this time, this experience. We ask that you would protect us as we leave this place and that you would bring us back together safely. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.